When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Oil Spills Podcast for Tuesday, December 25th, 2018. Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. The Edmonton Oilers are in the midst of a four-day break in their schedule over Christmas before returning to Rogers Place on the 27th to play the Vancouver Canucks. And we're taking the opportunity to take a look back at the Oilers' season so far, part one of a mid-season report of sorts, as NHL teams near the halfway mark of the schedule. I'm Jim Matheson. I'm Derek Van Deest. And I'm Craig Ellingson. Maddie, Derek, and I talk about three simmering, ongoing subjects surrounding the Oilers, including the rise of Miko Koskinen to become the starting goaltender, the November 20th coaching change that saw veteran NHL bench boss and Edmontonian Ken Hitchcock replace Todd McClellan as head coach, and the ongoing saga of Milan Lucic, who has struggled to score all season. He had scored just one goal in 2018-19, which he recorded October 6th in the season opener against New Jersey and Sweden, heading into the December 23rd game against Tampa Bay. Welcome to our season in review part one. We're talking about the Oilers and their season so far near to the halfway point here at Christmas time, holiday time. And there's a few things to talk about. Um, I think, and I think we can all agree, probably the biggest story and surprise is the play of Mikko Koskinen and uh, how he's basically solidif- helped solidify the goaltending situation for the Edmonton Oilers this season. And I say help because Cam Talbot's, there's, you know, obviously Koskinen came in uh, and basically took away the starter's role from Talbot because Talbot was struggling in November. But, uh, you know, Talbot, to his credit, has played better as of late. So they do have a one-two punch in net. Although I would say Koskinen is your better option, and I think most fans feel that way too. Gentlemen, Mikko Koskinen. We should join the chorus of people who thought that was a crappy signing back in, <laughs> well, yeah. in the spring for the money they were giving Mikko Koskinen, a guy who had been in the league for seven years and was playing in the KHL. And they gave him a one-year, $2.5 million salary. And most people went, what? Because the orders, you know, with Camp Talbot here, had been getting by with, you know, $1 million or or less than that backups, whether that was Nilsson or, or Montoya or Laurent Bassois. And then suddenly they went out and got the two and a half. And, I mean, it's, it was reading the tea leaves, it was pretty obvious they didn't, 
didn't like Cam's game last year as much as they did the year before, and they wanted wanted a goaltender to put a little more pressure on him, along with having another a fallback in case Cam got hurt. And Koskinen wasn't very good in training camp, and we all said, "Yeah, yeah, great signing." And then, you know, waited a long, quite a long time before getting a start, but uh, it's certainly been very good. I can't, I can count the number of bad goals he's given up on one hand in the games he's played. Certainly, almost none at home, mm. except that that one that Toffoli scored on him, and then the orders called a coach's challenge for offside, and they wiped out that goal. But for the most part, he's been very good, and that was one of Peter Shirelli's very good moves, along with uh, Alex Chason. Well, it was a gamble, and I think they had gambled in the past and lost, and they had gambled with backup goaltenders before. And we saw so many backup goaltenders come in here and, and not work out. And so when you when you when you threw two and a half million dollars at a goalie that had not made it in the league, had to go back to the the Continental Hockey League in, in Russia, uh, played there, and then he may have been the best goalie in the KHL, but what does that mean? That, that no one really knew what that meant coming here. He was unproven in North America. Um, but I think it was it was a gamble, and, and you have to give credit to Peter Shirell for taking that gamble. If it had not worked, yeah, he would have been he was would have been a whipping boy for spending two and a half million dollars on a team that's in a salary cap crunch on a backup goalie. But uh, you're seeing Koskinen right now; he's got his angles figured out, and I think he did that relatively quickly. And then he realizes he's a big guy, and he just has to get the angles figured out. And he's and he's really quick. I find with his feet, his feet are really quick for a big guy. He moves him really well. He moves he moves laterally well, really well. He gets up and down really well. Um, there are still some knocks on him. He you know catching is an issue for him. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> some games it looks like a skillet, <laughs> yeah. and you know the omelet's coming. Yeah. And then other games he's snapping st- pucks yeah. out of the air like Grand Fuhrer. So it doesn't seem to be pretty much middle ground. And yeah. I'm sure by now teams are saying you can't beat him down low because yeah. he's got legs that reach from here to the Duke, but up high. You know, they, they seem to still want to go at his glove hand. As they, to be honest, they go for Cam Talbot's no, they do too. They, glove they, hand they, too. Uh, but yeah, he's, and he's got the perfect demeanor for a goaltender. If he wins a game, yeah, well, whatever. If he loses a game, yeah, whatever. He doesn't seem to get too high or too low. And But there hasn't been any of those controversial fall in my face in a goal crease plays like Cam Talbot always seems to get where you might get mad, but he's been very good. No, he's been good, and I, I thought, you know, the, the knock on him was he sometimes he's a little leaky, and he has pucks go through his body and under his arm. Uh, I saw that in Vancouver. He had that one goal that kind of went through him on the power play. It was a good shot. He was in a good position, and, and kind of just, it snuck between his arm and his, and his body. That was one of the knocks on him. The other knock was that he didn't have a very good glove hand, but he's really figured out his, his angles well, and I think... Um, when you're a big guy like that, that's half the battle, being able to figure out the angles and, and just not giving the shooters anything to look at. When they look at the net, they're coming down the wing and he's playing his angles probably. There's no net to shoot at. And I think that's what we're seeing with Nico Koskinen. You know, think about the NHL in general. I mean, the, the orders, you know, obviously Shirelli gambled and won this time around. Um, but you look around the NHL and there are plenty of, not every team enjoys having a one and one A. Um, there are plenty of examples where you have they might, you know, they have a starting goalie, um, and uh, but you know their backup situation, you don't know. I mean, it's just like the orders, like you've said, over the last few years, if not forever, where you don't, you know, the, your backup isn't a proven starter because you don't want to spend the money. 
you know, most teams don't want to spend any more than $10 million on their goaltending between two goalies. And, you know, the Oilers certainly are a lot less than that. They're seven. And that's that, to me, is just perfect. Yeah, if you're the Montreal Canadiens, you're, you know, yeah, you're spending you're But the, all, the team's spending all the money on a goalie. They're crossing their fingers every game that the guy doesn't get hurt. And if he gets hurt because they're going to a backup, it doesn't play very much. And then he's making, you know, buck 49, and they want, to know, want him to carry the team for three weeks. You know, so it's a little difficult. And uh, the owners, you're right. Having two goalies is, is uh, both a security blanket for a coach and a problem because then you're you're saying to yourself i got to get the other guy playing but the other guy's playing so good so why am i playing the other guy and um you know if you're an edmonton oiler fan you want to know why koskinen didn't play last night against st louis probably because he's seven and oh but if you're the coach you can't sit cam talbot for two weeks if you say you want to get both goalies in the rhythm and if you don't play cam against uh st louis a team he's already beat uh, maybe he has to wait till after Christmas, and then that's, that's probably too long. So, uh. Well, the thing is, too, and Ken Hitchcock has said this, that in the West, you need two goaltenders just because of the travel and, 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 and how you know, your body reacts to traveling all over. In the East, you're going to games, and you're, you're home in your bed that night. So I think the travel is obviously a lot tougher in the West, and, and Ken Hitchcock has been in the West with Dallas and St. Louis. He knows what the travel is like, and he knows that he needs two goalies to kind of get grind through the season. I think towards the end, we'll see when it comes to crunch time and the Oilers desperately need wins, then they'll probably go to just the one guy exclusively. But See what happens at the trading deadline. If Koskinen's playing better than Talbot and Talbot's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year, whether they still want to keep two goalies or do they want to, do they want to dangle Talbot to another team to get something else that they maybe need more. So we'll see. But I think Cam's game's coming around. The problem with Cam is his game's coming around, but at the end of the night, there's still more L's than W's. And I'm sure he would like to get on one of those roles too where he wins five, six in a row because he's still right now under 500 as a goalie and his his goal average is over three. And and, that's far too high for Cam. I mean, this is unlikely, but but if Mikko Koskinen continues to play very well... um, and but the orders somehow, and if he's playing well, they're winning. But if somehow they're not in a playoff position, it looks unlikely. Even though you have a strong Koskinen in that, do you look at trading him instead? You might get something better back than Talbot. I mean, and it's it's a very difficult situation for the orders come July. So you get two guys unrestricted. Talbot, his body of work is certainly more extensive than Koskinen's. And you're going to look at Koskinen and say, okay, he had one really good year, but what are we going to commit to you for, you know, the long term? He's also 30. He's not 27. He's already 30. So I guess that's a problem for another day. But right now, I think they're very happy to have two goaltenders that can play. And I can't think of too many teams in the league with two goalies that can both play. Most teams just got the one and and their backup's not very good. So, you know, I had a hard time deciding in my mind what the biggest story of the season so far of the orders is. And I think I think it is goaltending, but, it, you know, the coaching change, uh, yeah. November 20th with Hitchcock replacing Todd McClellan, 
to me, that's that's one A. I mean, it, you know, we have to decide between our Koskinen and Talbots of these subjects. I think uh, the coaching is right up there with uh, with Koskinen's play because um, Ken Hitchcock came in and you know the Oilers perked up right away and uh, you know the, we're recording this uh, before the Tampa Bay game. And the Oilers are eight four and two since Hitchcock took over. Um, and of course, they've had a bit of they've lost the last two games outright, but you know they they played some very good hockey. Uh, obviously, they adjusted under Hitchcock, and there was some success. There was, and I think Todd McClellan will still get a job in the NHL next year. I think he's still a really good coach. Uh, I think the general manager hired the one coach that would come in. And wouldn't care if he's coaching at the end of the year. He just wants to coach the Oilers for a time. He doesn't necessarily have to coach them for a long time, being from Edmonton. And there weren't too many coaches out there that would do that. And, and you know, this was a move by the general manager to keep his job. You know, he once you fire the coach, you, the next guy you hire then better get you over the hump or they're looking at the general manager and saying, okay, this isn't working, so... You know, you've made a coaching change, so now we're going to make a general manager change. And so far, it's working. And and uh, I think the I think it's the message is the same, maybe, but the messenger is a little different, and maybe it's delivered a little differently than Todd. But for people to think that that Ken's come in and and reinvented the wheel and how to coach this team, I mean, I don't think so. I mean. He's changed the way maybe they, you know, he put Lucic on a checking line, whereas Todd kept trying to put him on a scoring lane, hoping he would score a goal. Um, and and Ken has moved some of his, of his forwards around and such like that. But I don't think he's changed things that much. They're a little more aggressive on the forecheck. And I think, you know, they play zone defense, not as opposed to man-to-man. So, but... You know, players maybe listen to a guy with 1,500 games a little bit more than a coach who hasn't coached 1,500 games. Well, I think one of the luxuries that Ken Hitchcock had is to be able to see the Oilers from a distance and scout them from a distance and kind of um, have an opinion on their personnel and kind of get a gauge of where he thought the personnel should go and who should go where and where, who should play what. Because he came in here and he, and he made some changes to the lineup. Exactly. He wasn't. Basically, he didn't look at Lucic as, oh, this is a whatever $6 million player. I got to play him in my top six. He looked at Lucic as, this is a big guy that can go in and create some havoc in the offensive zone. I'm going to play him with two other big guys, and they're going to be like a checking slash kind of grinding line. He doesn't care if they score or not. They have the puck in the other team's zone a lot, but they don't really do much with it. But as long as it's in the other team's zone, it's not going to be in the back of your own net. So that's that's a positive so he he had a chance to kind of have a really good run at this team, a really good read on this team before he took it over. Whereas I think Todd McClellan was doing it on the fly and trying to figure it out on the fly. And sometimes when you step back and, and kind of look, overlook the, the situation, it's almost a better situation to come into and say, okay, this is what I think. This is how I saw it from a distance. And, and Todd was still trying to make things work from the inside. And, and, and he was coaching for his job. Let's be honest. And he was coaching for his GM's job, and and him and the GM 
were kind of working in unison and they had to try and get Lucic going because he still got another four years on this contract. They had to try and get things going with Lucic. So I think he came in there, he knew this team, and it was a perfect situation because I don't think any other team in the league would have been able to say to Ken Hitch, okay, can you just come and coach us till the end of the year and then we'll figure out what we'll do then. And he's always wanted to coach here. He's always wanted to be the Oilers head coach. And and like we've talked a lot about how, how smart he is and how that translates when he talks to you about hockey. When you talk to Ken Hitchcock about hockey, you yourself feel like you've learned something in that conversation. And I'm sure the players feel the same way, is that when Ken Hitchcock tells them something, they feel like they've come out of that conversation smarter about the game just by talking to him. And and I think that goes a long way as well. I think the, the Hitchcock also came in with no baggage. He came in and he said, okay, I'm going to play this guy with this guy. I don't want to play that guy. And, you know, Peter Shirelli traded for Chris Weidman. He's played three games. They picked up Zekoff from Carolina on waivers. He's played them three times. Um, you know, they traded for Ryan Spooner. Healthy scratch. He's been a healthy scratch. He's moved him around. With Lucic, he moved him on to a checking line, a bigger checking line. Todd perhaps felt that because the general manager had gone out and and signed him to that long-term contract for $6 million and he was his boss, he had to play him with offensive players hoping he would finally score. Whereas the, Ken Hitchcock comes in and says, ah, I'm not beholding to anybody here. I'll just do what I want to do till the end of the year and if I don't have a job, I don't have a job. And um, so that's different. Uh, you know, I, all coaches come in with with preconceived notions too and I think Ken you know one of those would be that you know he had Ty Ratty in St. Louis and and Ty didn't play much and then you know and then Ty's got a win over Ken here uh, and he's done it to a degree but he's also sat him out too so um, but so far so good but now we're starting to see a little adversity they've lost the last two games and now Tampa's coming in the best team in the league so there could be a three game losing streak going into the Christmas break and you don't want that when you've built up some, so much goodwill over you know a month because that's happened last year actually it was in reverse they got it going before Christmas and then they lost all those games after Christmas and, and that's the one thing you can't have in the division the orders are in the, in the Pack eight, you you can't stand a losing streak. The teams are too closely together, and all of a sudden you lose five games in a row, and then you fall out of it. So we talked obviously a little bit about Milan Lucic in there, talking about Ken Hitchcock and how he's using him now, and that's another of the storylines this season. Uh, this, the star-crossed, snake-bitten Milan Lucic, who scored in the opening game of the season in Sweden, but hasn't scored since. And he has two and almost, you know, the equivalent of a full NHL schedule, almost 82 games. What is it? As of right now, it's two in his last 80 games. So Milan Lucic, uh, you know, he was a big storyline over the summer in that people were wondering, you know, A, would the orders trade him? B, could they trade him? C, but Milan Lucic has a no movement clause. But anyway, it's it's this millstone, this millstone uh, that the Oilers own, and that it looks like he's here, and this contract's going to be sticking around for it looks like for a long time. 
Um, what do you say about the Milan Lucic situation here as we're halfway through the season? Yeah, when he signed, I, I didn't mind the signing. I, di- I had a problem with the length. I had a problem with the term. I thought it was way too long because Lucic was kind of at the end of his of his of his cycle here. He's he's towards the end. I know he wasn't not old. He's only thirty, but I think his best days were behind him. And this is a guy who cares a lot, works hard, but he's lost his hands, uh, he's lost his confidence, and he's not getting any luck. And that those are three bad things to to have happen to a guy that you know you're expecting to chip in twenty goals a season for at least three or four seasons before it all dropped off. And it's it's fallen off here and he's struggling. But I think under Ken Hitchcock, he's kind of found a new role and they, and they kind of hope that in this new role, in this kind of heavy line role that he has with these other two guys, is that eventually something will go in for him. Eventually he'll be able to bang a puck in from from the crease. But he's a guy that's the that your hands are kind of sometimes the first to go. You just, for whatever reason, you just don't have the same snap on a shot. You just don't have the same ability to pick corners and you really struggle in that sense. And that's what I see with Milan Lucic now. And then when you struggle like that, you have no confidence to shoot the puck and he's hitting goalies in the chest. He just wants to get it on net now instead of trying to pick corners. And then again, he's he's hitting goalposts. He's missing wide open nets. He, it's it's just a, a thing where it's, it's all kind of... Sp- just steamroll on him and 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 it's 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 really too bad to see because he cares a lot he wants to be an impact player he wants to earn that contract and and you can see how it weighs on him when when it's not going well for him and so you kind of root for a guy like that but i think if that contract had been four years people would have said okay well that's not a big deal but it's not it was seven and i think that's the the issue right now well he's in the same every team has a milan lucic you know if you pulled the 31 teams every team's got one player you say what are we doing paying this guy for this length of time i mean i think milan lucci's is now going to become the poster boy where david clarkson used to be the poster well boy. he's a he's somewhat similar to david backus in boston there's both big bodies and boston signed him to a long-term contract not for quite as much money but backus has kind of morphed into this player who's maybe if he kicks in some goals great if not we know he's a good NHL player and we'll, we'll work around it. Uh, and that's Milan's case. I think he scored in the very first shot he had this year too. If I'm, I was in Sweden, I think he scored. He snapped it in like, like it was nothing. And I thought, oh, okay, he is back. But then, you know, not much since then. And now I'm sure when he comes down on, on a goaltender, he's, his eyes, you know, glaze over and he says, you know, can be the backup goaltender called up from uh, the Philadelphia Phantoms or Lehigh Phantoms or whatever. And, and to him, you've got Patrick Waugh and Marty Brodeur and Nett at the same time. And there's nothing there, and he's not scoring. And I think he's just he's just thoroughly frustrated, and he has no idea where his hand's went because now he, I mean it's hard to believe you could play almost a full calendar season he he's scoring at the rate of a defensive defenseman who you know you you know you set, watch play the games you know he's never going to score a goal but if you're a fan it's funny if fans fans all have a whipping boy 
Uh, he's gone past the whipping boy stage. Now he's the favorite uncle. And they go to the games. There's 18,000 people there. When he gets a chance and he doesn't score, there's a collective groan in the entire building. Ah, oh, come on. So I, I think he's kind of gone over the threshold of, of being somebody the fans are disliked to the point of they're, they're rooting for him now to try to score a goal. And that's, you know, that certainly beats the alternative. But if you're the Oilers, you would like to see some goals from him. But in the role he's in, I think he's been just fine. Now, last, you know, against St. Louis, I didn't think the line played very well at all with Milan, who only got nine minutes work, and that's the fewest he's got all season. But for the game in uh, Tampa when he chased that player around the ice and sat on him and got tossed out of the, got a misconduct, got tossed out of the game, uh, Joseph, Matthew Joseph. Nine minutes isn't very much for a player of his stature, but, uh, you know, that's, that's the way it goes when you're on a checking line, and the checking line didn't do enough checking last night, I guess, because neither, neither Brodziak nor Cassian were as effective as they normally have been. And you, and you look at Lucic, it's a no-movement cost. You can't even send him to the minors. If you wanted to bury that contract, you can't even do that until, I think, the last two years of his deal. I think the last two years of his deal, he's got a no, modified no-movement clause, so that might be... Uh, Situation where you could either buy, buy him, him out, buy him but out. you can buy him out, but there's still so much time left on the contract. Yeah. It's going to cost him acres of. It's going to cost him yeah, a lot think of money. You have salary cap problems now. I think you just, you know, I think you just have to find a role for him. And his contract is his concern, his salary. It's the team's problem. It's the owner's problem. It's the GM's problem. It's not his problem. It's his concern and his worry because he can't. You know, he can't play like he did, but I don't think I don't think Peter Shirelli sat on him and forced that $6 million, forced his hand to write Milan Lucic on that contract. So um, they wanted him, and, and you just want to try to uphold the, your good standing as, a, as a, more of an offensive player, but it's, it's a, not there. If it was a four-year deal, people would be like, okay, we'll, 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 we can grind through this four years, but it's seven years, and that's now you're in the third year of a seven-year contract. The guy has scored two goals in 80 games. Like, that's tough to swallow, especially since he's supposed to be a top six guy that was supposed to play with Connor McDavid. And we'll talk about him in part two of this podcast next week. But um, assuming Shirelli sticks around for a few more years after this one, but you'd have to go out and find an Alex Chase on every year just to make up for that. You know, you're paying Milan Lucic to be your third, fourth line checker. That, that contract, but then you're going to have to find somebody for chump change to come in and score like Alex Chason. Well, if Chason scores 30 goals this year, he's going to get $4 million a year. I know, him. but then you know you have to go find another one, I somebody suspect, else next year. I suspect the Oilers, if he keeps it going and he gets, you know, he can't keep shooting at 31%. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're talking about him next part. We didn't <laughs> want to give it away here. I had to bring him up, though. Yeah. I, I just felt, okay, I'll stop you there. So anyways... We'll continue with part two next week. That's our Oil Spills podcast for today. You can listen to our show via iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud.